Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. If you're reading this, it means I've probably passed away, despite everyone's best efforts to keep me in good health. I want you to know that that's okay. We all gave it our best shot, and ultimately whatever happens is as God wills it. Please don't feel sad on my behalf, for I am in a better place, a place where evil doesn't exist, a place of pure love and joy. Of this, I am certain. Hey, Rudder Nation, welcome to another episode of Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help pull you out of your rut into a life worth living. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan, and in just a moment, we're going to have a conversation with Adam Robarts. He's going to be sharing with us insights from his book, 19, which showcases 19 insights he gained from his son, Hayden, who passed away from cancer at the age of 19. The reason why we had this conversation is, one, to honor Hayden's memory, but two, those insights that Hayden shares with his father and his family and those around him really do help us think about what does it mean to live like we're dying? And if we had just a limited amount of time, if we knew how much time we had left, what would we do with it? And so how can we take the insights from a dying teenager, apply it to our own lives so that we're living our best life today? That is the point of the show. Sit back, have a listen. Let's find out what we can learn from somebody who was in his final years of life and just interacting with those he loved and cared about most. Here we go. All right. Hey, Adam, thanks for calling in from Indonesia. How are you doing on this fine day? I'm good, Jerry. Thank you for offering to uh, host me on this podcast. I'm oh, very yeah. Honored. Oh, my pleasure. And I was up early anyway. So uh, having our first uh, recording session at 7 a.m. Central Standard Time in Texas. A-OK. I've actually been up since five. So. <laughs> <laughs> and 8 p.m. here in Bali. I was going to ask so you. like Opposites. Yeah. Yes. We're opposite sides of the world. So I'm getting my day started. You're winding yours down. And uh, I, we got a beyond the rut talk in here in the process. Um, now, we have you on the show because you've got you're on a book tour right now for a book called 19. And it's 19 lessons that you learned from a 19 year old with cancer. And, um, you know, the, the, the tragic part and the sadder part of that is that we're talking about your son, Hayden, uh, who is the subject in the center of that and 19 lessons you drew from his life. Um, now, uh, I didn't share this with you before we started recording. Um, but, you know, for my wife and I, this this does hit home because uh, our son, uh, we've got two kids. Our son is about the same age as Hayden. And um, and so we were putting we were doing the math and I was like, Liv, this is this is somebody Jacob could have run into and known if they were in the same part of the world at the same time. And um, and she's like, I'm not going to read that. Nope, don't show me that book. And uh, and then she saw me reading it and and just saying this is powerful. And so she took the extra copy you gave me and she'll give it back. But <laughs> uh, now, you know, I also got to listen to the episode you did with Rain Wilson and Reza Aslan. So folks listening, um, after you listen to this episode, go check out that one because uh, you get, you'll get more of Hayden's story and the lessons from that. Uh, we're going to go a uh, similar route, but we're not going to repeat what they talked about because, you know, we want to add to this body of conversation, not just repeat the same one over and over. Uh, but my first question for you, uh, Adam, is, you know, if we were to 
if we were able to meet Hayden today, you know, who would we be meeting? What kind of person would we be impacted by? Ooh, Jerry, thank you for asking that. You know, Hayden is one of four children, and um, he initially was number two. Mm. He then became number number three. It's an interesting mathematics. Um, we had a five-year-old son, uh, Talis, and a three-year-old son, Hayden. And we had the blessing of being able to adopt a Chinese daughter who was four years old. And so she came right in the middle of the two boys. All of a sudden, Hayden, from being the second born, was the third. <laughs> and, you know, it was fascinating because here he was, a three-year-old boy, so excited at the prospect of having a sister. And he immediately said, if it helps, I'd like her to have my room. Because she's a girl, she should have her own room. And he bunked in with Talis. So Hayden made it possible physically for our home to accept Cyan, and she joined us. We subsequently had another boy. And Hayden had from the early, earliest of those years this gentle, kind selflessness about him. Um, he was an ordinary human being. I don't want to make him into a saint, but he was very gentle and kind, and he had a big heart, and he loved, he, he loved to make others happy, you know, to take care of others. So when his younger brother was in utero, it was always Hayden who rushed home from school to make a ginger tea for Karen or to rub her feet. Um, and then, you know, fast forwarding from those early childhood years, growing up in China, being bilingual, um, born to a Canadian mum, a British dad. Well, here he is. He's 19 years old, and he has done very well at school. He's a sportsman, an, an athlete, an academic, um, a good friend to many. I sometimes made the terrible mistake of calling him our textbook child. And I think I, I tempted, <laughs> don't ever, don't ever do that. Too late. That no, may kidding. have tempted fate. <laughs> and lo and behold, this gentle giant, this wonderful young man, about to start university to become an architect, suddenly has headaches and is feeling a little bit nauseous and um, a little bit dizzy, um, lets us know that he's not feeling too good. And his uncle, my brother, says, look, why don't you jump on a train from Ottawa the end of the summer holidays? Um, you've still got a few more days before you go back to London to start your university. Jump on a train and we'll do an MRI. And he went to Toronto. He did an MRI just to be safe. And it revealed a four centimeter tumor on his pituitary gland. And that required immediate surgery and began a nine and a half month period where Hayden went through two brain surgeries and uh, chemotherapy and then radiation therapy. And then that didn't solve the problem. The cancer was beginning to spread and seemed resistant to those treatments. So we then had the opportunity to go on a clinical trial in New York. So we flew to New York, a sort of Hail Mary last attempt, you know, to see whether we could finally, you know, get this cancer under control. And that didn't work. So Hayden, as a young man, was told, we can't subject, we don't want to subject your body to any more punishment. You know, chemo and radiation is brutal, as you know. And so we think you should just enjoy whatever time you can in these remaining weeks of palliative care. So we then went back to Canada 
um, to a place where Karen grew up. We have a little cottage near Ottawa. And that's where Hayden spent his last eight weeks of life, surrounded by family in our cottage by a very simple lake uh, north of Ottawa. And he passed away, you know, age 19, one week before his 20th birthday. His approach to death inspired me to write this book. You know, here was a young man with everything ahead of him and with not a dot of fear, not an ounce of trepidation or anxiety or fear of dying. He just, he knew that this was his lot for whatever reason. We never know where the cancer came from. He never asked, you know, why me? In fact, I say in the book, at one point, at one point, he probably might have said, why not me? You know, I mean, statistically, he was just one of those people who did get cancer. And he approached his death with grace and gratitude, gentleness, some of those same qualities we talked about in his early childhood. And so this is a book not about Hayden, but about what we learned from this journey through suffering and what we learned from a a very special young man. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the biggest lesson that, you know, stood out for me reading through the book is he embraced life, especially when it was, you know, I mean, it, not just when he was in his final years, but just all throughout, he, he knew who mattered most to him and that people in general mattered and, and just that servant heart of his and meeting the needs of others, you know, giving updates to the the extended family through those letters and giving encouraging words. And then um, there's even a, a letter that he wrote to, if I say it correctly, Kean, his, his baby brother uh, towards the end. And I mean, I read that and I was like, that, that is, that's powerful. I mean, that's, uh, that's something that Kean's probably going to keep with him the rest of his life, inspire him. And it's so selfless. Like you can, you can wallow in your misery and wallow in your fear. And he instead embraced it and said, let's, let's tackle this. Let's go head on. And, and that's, uh, and I think about that parallel to those, you know, who follow the show and those who maybe feel stuck in a rut, you know, they, you know, they've kind of trapped themselves and, you know, we've got that choice, you know, we can go after life and live it, or we can live in fear of losing that life. And, um, you know, if you know, come across other guests on the show who, faced life or faced death, I should say, and, and have overcome it. Uh, one is an episode that comes out around the same time as this one, Andy Storch, who took on cancer as well. And, and uh, you know, he was just living his life during the treatment. And, you know, we're, we're fortunate he, you know, is in remission right now. And then another guy who had, I guess they call it the Widowmaker of heart attacks. And uh, he's he was told he had five years left to live statistically. He's in year seven right now and just checking off everything on his bucket list. Uh, things like, I want to be a public speaker. I want to write a book. I want to be in a movie. And so he was a voice actor for an animated film that was like straight to streaming. But he's like, but my name is in the credits. <laughs> so it's like, there's, there's those kinds of things. Uh, there's, uh, so, Segwaying into, you know, one of the things that really caught me was the chapter on fear where, uh, Karen, your, your wife, uh, is, is just really, you know, upset about, you know, the, the, the process Hayden is going through. And, um, you know, Hayden's response to her ultimately ends with the, the, the phrase, you know, the danger's real, uh, but fear is a choice. And it's so true. Like, Addressing, accepting the fear, and then moving forward is a choice. It doesn't say that the danger is not there. It's not some Pollyanna, everything's great, everything's perfect. You know, I got the whole world in the palm of my hand. You know, Muppets song jumped in my head. Um, 
tell us about that. Like the danger is real, but fear is a choice. And, and how did that, you know, inspire other folks as he was just embracing that? Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Well, Jerry, you've just picked, I don't know whether you're, I mean, we, we haven't talked before, so somehow you've picked the two parts of the book that for me are the most precious. One is Hayden's letter to his younger brother, Keon. And to me, that exemplifies faith. I think maybe we'll talk about that later. But, And the other one is Karen's note about fear. Karen was gripped by fear. Here is a mother looking at a 19-year-old son who she adores with all her heart, and she's paralyzed by fear. And in that chapter on fear, I share Karen's um notes about her feelings can i read some of that i think yes. i think it's so special i wonder whether yes. it will because karen's obviously not with us today in this interview but maybe i can read it and it'll bring the mother's voice to our podcast interview so here is karen's voice as quoted in the chapter on fear from the moment the call came in that singapore hotel room i was ravaged by fear so paralyzed i don't remember how i packed my things so stunned that I have no recollection now of even boarding the plane. For the next two weeks after our arrival in Canada, I feigned calm for Hayden's sake. I maintained the outward appearance of control while that fear raged within, ravaging my body, choking my breath. I eventually realized that it was depleting me completely, robbing me of the very love and joy I so desperately wanted to give my son. That realization was a turning point for me. And I remember just when it took place. I was in Toronto, in another hotel room, at the end of a very long day at the hospital. I found myself sitting on the edge of the bed at that moment, unable even to swallow a few leaves of salad. Fear was consuming me and I simply broke down. I wept uncontrollably, choked out prayers through my tears. And as I was literally gasping for air, I suddenly realized something very simple. If I claimed to have faith, then now must surely be the time to show it. If I believed in God, then now is the moment to accept his will, whatever it might be. I understood my fear was a test and I was being challenged by it to become detached. Hayden had been given to me not as a possession, not as a right, but as a trust from God. He belonged ultimately to God, not to me. At that moment, I saw what trust in God actually looked like in my situation. It meant that whatever the outcome, Hayden would be fine. This realization opened a space for me and allowed me to be with him fully. 
to accompany him fearlessly and with faith from then on. In one of the Baha'i prayers, we ask God to protect us from violent tests. To me, this doesn't mean that we won't be tested. We need tests to grow. And I was surely tested as a mother through the awful ordeal of Hayden's illness. But during those two weeks when I lived in a state of fear rather than faith, I experienced the full impact of those violent tests. As long as I had not taken a conscious step into faith, I was not protected. All love and joy were depleted, and I could not truly be with Hayden. I've come to understand that fear and faith cannot coexist in the same heart or the same mind. Knowing that we are in God's hands and believing that he knows what is best for us enables us to accept the severe trials in life without fear and helps us face the worst that might happen, confident that we will never be tested beyond our capacity. After that, my faith became my constant companion and solace, and Hayden became even more to me than he already was. I don't know, I just find that so beautiful. And, you know, in so many of us live in fear, fear of losing our jobs, fear of losing our children, fear of losing our lives. And I think especially with the pandemic, you know, we are seeing a pandemic of fear. Mm -hmm. And here yeah. is an example of a mother gripped by fear of losing her child. And it was in faith that she found her companion and her solace. I, I have read that so many times and lent into it myself. You know, I'm so grateful to Karen. Yeah, such a powerful uh, phrase that she put in there. Uh, the fear was holding her back from loving Hayden the way he needed it. And, you know, and what you're saying is spot on. You know, fear holds us back from everything in life, you know, being plugged in with our spouse, uh, our, our own families at home, uh, maybe, you know, holding us back from taking that leap of faith into the next career level or going back to school, whatever it is, uh, we often use fear to justify not doing the thing we're really called to go and do. And, and uh, Jerry, when you, when you have a, a podcast called Beyond the Rut, isn't it interesting that it's fear that so often keeps us in the rut? You know, we're afraid to get out of the rut because we might even, I mean, of course, the rut might be awful for some people. You know, they might be experiencing something they don't know how to get out of. But for some people, for some people, the rut is comfort, you know, and we might be stuck in a rut where actually fear prevents us from having the courage to get out and experience something new, to grow, to be alive um, and to explore our faith and what it can really do for us. So, exactly. It's like that movie, think, um, yeah, Pleasantville. Yeah, it keeps right? us in the rut. Yes. <laughs> yeah, what's right. outside of Pleasantville? There's nothing outside of Pleasantville, silly. <laughs> it's like, no, there's a lot out there. <laughs> it's, uh, and, and so, you know, it, it, I love also what Karen says in her letter that, you know, fear and faith cannot coexist. They, they really can't mm. because uh, faith in, in a big way cancels out that fear or at least comforts you while you go through it. And uh, it's like that like going warp speed, it forms a bubble around your spaceship and it sends you through, uh, protecting you from the forces of, uh, I went geeky there, sorry. Um, so <laughs> where I want to land my plane though is, you know, what would you say is faith? Like how would you define faith? Uh, Cause you talk about it in a whole chapter in the book. You even compare it with hope, like the difference between faith and hope. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that and then we'll, we'll take a, di a deeper dive into faith and, and Hayden again. 
So, you know, faith is the chapter that I found the most difficult to write. I think it's the most substantial chapter in the book. It's the most robust chapter in the book. I did a lot of reading and praying, deep thinking about that chapter, because I knew that in a book inspired by what we learned from Hayden, faith had to be one of the chapters. You know, he he was a young lad whose faith was remarkable. It was obvious. Um, and I think that's what allowed him to approach death without fear. It was He was an example of somebody who applied his faith to conquer fear. Um, and he knew, I think in one of the chapters I refer to, it, the Jesuit priest, Pierre Théard de Chardin, who says that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And I think Hayden exemplified that. He he knew his his reality as a human soul, as a divine creation, who happens to going to spend some time on this planet in this material existence. But he was so sure that this is only a very small part of our eternal reality, our eternal journey towards God. And so if at some point, you know, we lose the vehicle. That's okay. You know, the soul is untouched by that. You know, a um, little bit like, you know, the, the bird in the cage. You can destroy the cage, but the bird is not harmed. The bird is free to actually fly. And Hayden had this understanding of his being, his purpose was to make that eternal journey to God. So as we talk about faith, I wanted to write a chapter on faith, but I also wanted to make sure that it was different from an understanding of faith being belief. And so actually that chapter could have been titled Science and Religion. At one point I thought of that because actually Hayden was a scientist, you know, as well as a man who had his own beliefs and his own faith in spirituality and the path to God. But he loved science. Those were his major A-level subjects. And he had science books by his bedside and he had scripture by his bedside. <laughs> And for him, there was no competition. There was no conflict between those because they were both uncovering aspects of truth. And I define in that chapter on faith a definition of faith that I took from Abdu'l-Bahá, in which Abdu'l-Bahá says, faith is first, conscious knowledge, and second, the practice of good deeds. And I think that's very interesting because that's not the kind of way that we're often told about faith. You know, to many people, faith is some sort of big leap into the world of the unbelievable, of superstition, of things that are hard to get your head around. And actually, I'm not sure that is faith. I think that might be superstition. <laughs> and therefore, rightly, we struggle with it. But faith is actually grounded. Faith is real. It's as real as science. You know, it's as real as the mountain itself. And so what I actually describe in this chapter, first of all, we explore a little bit, you know, some expressions of faith. And I say, you know, when we believe in gravity, that faith in gravity is not something that is whimsical. It's based on fact. It's based on real experience. But when you jump out of an airplane, you know, you are practicing that faith. You are putting all the laws of science into effect, and you are practicing faith in that science. And similarly, when you believe in love and kindness, justice, compassion, generosity, truthfulness, trustworthiness, you know, the fruits of the spirit. That is, that's as real as the mountain. There's no fiction about that. 
And so I think faith embraces both the world of science and the world of religion. And so in that chapter, we look at these two and look at how they help us to discover truth, whether from from religion or from science, there is a coherent reality. There are not two realities. You know, that divine creation is one. And science science is created by God. You know, the laws of science come from God. So Hayden had this understanding. He loved logic. He loved reason. And actually, he approached his study of scripture with the method of science. You know, he would read and reflect and think and put into practice and learn and then reflect again and read again. And I thought that was very powerful, especially to young people in his peer group, you know, that here was somebody applying the method of science to the practice of their life and certainly the practice of his religion, of his faith. You know, I think this is, so it's a really beautiful chapter. And I look at some scientists you know, who we think of as hardcore scientists. And I actually noticed that many of them actually believed and practiced faith. You know, um, I don't think it's possible to be a scientist unless you practice faith. You have to practice faith in that method that is your that is your tool. Yeah, it's, um, was it Galileo who had said, and you mentioned this in, the, in your book, that's how I know this. Uh, it was Galileo who said something to the effect of, you know, if, if God didn't want me to use science to explore the world around me, then he probably wouldn't have given me this brain to think and the senses to take in this information. And so he's acknowledging that I have this ability to be analytical of the world around me. And I don't think that's, you know, by accident. I think that's because God created us that way. And, uh, and so I'm using this method to learn about the world around me. And, and, um, I think people are often shocked that, you know, when they hear, cause I, I am a Christian, I've only been a Christian since 2005, uh, but people think I've grown up with it my whole life. Um, uh, but I was a pre-med major in college, uh, not a good one, but I was a pre-med major and <laughs> that's why I'm not a doctor now. And, uh, you know, and so I approached my own faith, you know, asking tons of questions and, and, uh, you know, just balancing out, well, why do we act like this and like this? And then started to really distinguish between, you know, what was the message in the Bible versus what are traditions that people added on that may or may not be a, a, a proper or appropriate interpretation of what they read. And, and so it, you know, that scientific method also allows you to kind of go in there and, and, you know, get to the, the core of what is, you know, you know, for me, you know, my Christian faith. And then, you know, what is it for other people? What is their faith? Uh, that thing that they believe in and, uh, and then adding, like doing something with it though, you know, the works part of it that you, you quoted, uh, Abdul Bahar as saying, and, you know, there's even a scripture, it's, it's faith and works that are a part of our worship, not just faith because we run into people who just want to study, 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 and they never do anything with it. They never serve others. They never encourage others. And you have people who are the opposite end who are like, well, just be a good person to others, but they don't really believe anything bigger than themselves. And so it's when you put the two together that you really are starting to connect your soul with something bigger than you. And the world just takes a different, I know the world for me took a different view or vantage point the moment I put those two together. Um, Beautiful. I think the essence of faith is fewness of words and abundance of deeds, you know? Those, those actions are the way we live our faith, the way we actually also test our faith. You know, unless we have the actions, how does our faith get tested? How does it grow? Um, so we have nothing to fear 
by stepping out and practicing that faith. Faith is robust. Faith is strong. In the book, I describe faith as the mountain and hope as what can stand on that mountain. Oh, wow, yeah. You know, hope. And so you asked earlier about hope. And, you know, I think, again, hope sometimes is portrayed as wishful thinking. I don't think it is at all. I think hope is something that is grounded on that mountain. If you have a strong faith, then your hope is powerful. It's positive. You know, it's that journey towards the summit of the mountain and then the next summit and the next summit because the mountain keeps going. Yes. And um, I think that sort of joy of making the journey, that hope that carries us on, even when times are difficult, has to have a strong footing. Otherwise, it's just in the clouds. You know? yes. And hope that's in the clouds isn't really going to help us get up those steep slopes. Yeah. 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 Because when the, the going gets tough, you know, you won't be the tough that gets going, you know, it's <laughs> without that faith. You know, it's like, uh, that, that, like you said, it's that belief that, you know, as I pursue what I have hope for, that it really will happen. I'll make it happen. I'll work with others to make it happen. It will create it. And, um, and that it'll all come together. You know, that what we do wind up with is the thing that we need to have. And, um, and, and it sounds like that's something that came out of Hayden's faith journey as well. Um, and we've talked about, you know, just how his character had been developed through that um, and his life choices. I, yeah. Oh, man. I'm just, I'm just, yeah. Jerry, I wonder, yeah, wow. I wonder whether for, for the listeners to this podcast, we give them a treat, which is to read a little bit from Hayden's letter to his younger brother, Keon, because to me, I, I don't know what degree Hayden had faith before his illness. I think he had a remarkable faith, but who cares? It's not, we shouldn't be comparing this faith. This person's faith is stronger than that person. Exactly. Yes. But I do know that during the journey through suffering with cancer, Hayden's faith grew. That's what's important. Not to compare it to other people, but to see what he did through this journey. And the letter that he wrote to his brother in his closing weeks of life with us here, I think exemplifies something very precious. I, I wonder, can I read it? Is that a Yes. Yeah. In fact, I was going to ask you whether we brought it up or not, like if I could read it as an, an add-on to the episode, but I think it'd be better coming from you. So here it is. And you can certainly read it too. I think <laughs> it's, um, this is a letter that um, for listeners was written by Hayden a few weeks before he passed away. He gave it to his mother, Karen, and he said, Mom, if I die, please give this letter to Keon. How did Hayden know that he was offering a lifeline to his younger brother, age 15 at the time? Because actually what happened is after Hayden passed away, Keon plunged into a horrendous grief, really awful, a very, very dark place because he lost his closest his closest friend, his his brother. And I'm so grateful Hayden wrote this letter. So here's, here's how it goes. If you're reading this, it means I've probably passed away, despite everyone's best efforts to keep me in good health. I want you to know that that's okay. We all gave it our best shot. And ultimately, whatever happens is as God wills it. Please don't feel sad on my behalf, for I am in a better place, a place where evil doesn't exist, a place of pure love and joy. Of this, I am certain. Picture a beautiful garden with life flourishing everywhere. 
with streaming water and radiant light, the sound of laughter in the air, the smell of fresh flowers. This is an image I've been using to keep me happy in the last few days. Whenever you feel sad or depressed or confused, close your eyes. Take a deep breath, hear the water, and imagine us in that setting, in a world where there are no troubles. Alternatively, if you're ever feeling down or sad because of my passing, turn to God. Say some prayers. Remember, I will always be around you, watching over you, and so is God. It may not make much sense why there is suffering in the world and why things like this happen. I often wondered the same thing and never quite understood it until these past few weeks. Suffering brings us closer to God and can make us realize things that we have never understood before. I truly don't think I've ever felt as much deep joy and happiness as I have over the past few weeks. I've felt closer to God, closer to our family, and I've had hope for a better world. One that is united, joyous, beautiful, and flourishing. I may never have felt this if not for my cancer and coming so close to death. So even though it may seem like a terrible thing from the outside, it has also brought about many positives. I hope you can also see this or come to understand it in time. And I hope you will always remember the joyous memories we've had, whether traveling to Laos and Cambodia or saying prayers together in that little room in Toronto. I love you so much, Hayden. Wow. And that's extraordinary that he said he felt he had more hope for the world in those last weeks when his body was basically being eaten up by cancer. When he was at his physical weakest, he says, I felt the happiest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Really, if that isn't a testimony to the power of the spirit, you know, that the spirit is what is alive despite whatever troubles, whatever fears, whatever cancer, whatever burglar in the house, whatever loss of jobs, whatever loss of family, the human spirit, that divine creation, that can carry us. That is the spiritual guide rope up the steepest mountain. So yeah, I I read that letter and I think, ooh, from a 19-year-old. What a lot I have to learn. He he grew up a lot in such a short period of time. And I, I know men in their 50s who haven't gained this sense of awareness yet. And they, they should. And hopefully this kind of wakes them up and says, oh, yeah, wow. And and get the best of their lives and, and start pouring into their kids and their grandkids and, and leaving those legacies. Because that, that letter is a legacy that he left for Kian. And then where Kian goes from here is just going to be amazing. It's going to be all Kian, but I think part of him is always going to have that letter to boost him and bring him through and, and give credit to, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of letter that, uh, you know, soldiers would write, you know, before going off to war, you know, in case something happens here, buddy, send this to my family. If something happens to me and uh, I, I share with my friends that, you know, I'd written a letter similar, uh, before we invaded Iraq in 2003, except I didn't, I didn't want to hand it off to anybody because I knew that would burden them with uh, two things. One, you know, Sergeant Dugan might die. And the other thing is we might die. <laughs> and, and so to preserve their sense of bravado and not scare them, I, I sent it home. And I had to do that, though. I had to disguise it and just write it in a way that didn't make my wife 
fearful either, uh, but encourage her. And, uh, but, and she to this day still can't tell which letter it was. Um, I almost can't tell, uh, except by looking at the date. I'm like, okay, that's, that's when I wrote that. Um, but it, chances are it never actually arrived now that I think about it. But, um, it, it just told her how much I loved her <laughs> and what my hope was for our children, what kind of people they'd grow up to be. Uh, it was like words of love even though my son wouldn't have remembered me and my daughter wasn't born yet, you know, it was like stuff like that. And and I, I'm bringing all this up because my encouragement to uh, you listening to this conversation is write a letter to somebody that is encouraging as if it's your last letter, but also don't make it the last letter you ever write, you know, write another one and another one. But for now, sit down, write a letter of encouragement to somebody. It could be an email. It could be a text message. Just make it thoughtful and, you know, plant that seed of hope and faith into somebody and, and do it today. So, uh, Jerry, that is so beautiful. I love it. You know, and I, I think one of the messages of the, the book 19 is that if we lived every day of our lives as if it was our last, you know, writing that last letter, you know, doing that last good deed for a friend who we might otherwise just put off that good deed for, someone who needs help, visiting a sick person, you know, visiting somebody who's lonely, um, smiling across the table at somebody who's maybe doesn't have a lot of friends, you know, live as if today was our last. And I think in that way, we look at a story like Hayden's, which is a story of approaching death. But the real message is that it enables us to live our lives more purposefully, with more passion and greater intent. I think if we live in the consciousness of death, we can actually live better lives. Often. Right. <laughs> you know, so there's nothing, nothing to fear. Death is a great teacher, you know, a great teacher. And there you are in the army, you know, looking at death in the face, you know, conscious that this might happen. I think it probably raises your consciousness as a human being, you know, as a soul, you know, more prepared, you know, more elevated in your thoughts. Oh, it definitely did. I was 27 at the time, just thinking, you know, I've got a career in this. I'm going to retire. I'm going to move up the ranks pretty quickly. Uh, but then I, you know, realized I'm in the job that has the highest number of posthumously awarded medals than any other job in the U.S. Army. Um, and we're expecting 20% casualties when we hit Baghdad. Oh, I'm dead. I'm not going to make it home. And that was the thing that made me say, write home and tell them how you feel. Tell them what you look forward to. Tell them what you hope to see uh, in the future uh, as if you are coming home. Uh, you know, plant those seeds, let them know, don't let there be any doubt of what you feel. And, um, yeah, July came around and I got sent back home and I thought, wow, I, I did not die. Well, let's pretend I am. And, and, and so just every day since then, it's, it's always been a, you know, I got to get up and, and experience something new. I got to read something new. I got to do something new. Um, and it, it has just been a life change for me. And, and so my hope with this show even is it encourages those listening in to do the same thing, you know, live like you're dying, you know, and you know, what is the thing you would do? If, yeah. If today were your last day, who would you talk to? What would you let them know? Um, what would matter most for you uh, in that memory? And I, I see a lot of that in how, you know, Hayden wrote to people and encouraged them in those final, you know, 
months and years. Um, now I know the book you can um, you can get it on Amazon and other places where you know books are f- sold and uh, you know there's a website 19.life uh, so the word 19 n i n e t e e n dot life um, and you're on Instagram uh, 19.book is the uh, the username and uh, is is it a Facebook group or a Facebook page? It's a Facebook page. Okay. Also 19. Book. There you go. So you need to get out there, check out the website, bookmark it in your browser, go to Facebook if you're on Facebook and uh, Instagram and, and go follow this book. Be a part of that journey. Get the word out there. Get a copy for yourself and also get a copy to pay it forward. Give it to somebody else and and, and uh, encourage their lives as well. Um, Adam, are there any final words of wisdom you want to share with folks before we sign off? You know, Hayden was 19 when he passed away. But interestingly, I don't know many 19-year-olds who write a will. Hayden had a, had a start at a will. I don't think he finished it, but the book finishes with this couple of sentences from Hayden. And I thought, let's give him the last word. This is what Hayden would wish for us. He says, live a life filled with joy and try to consciously consider how to bring joy to the lives of those around you as well. I often think about the word consciously in that, that he says, think how to consciously bring joy to others. That, I think, is the message that I treasure in my heart. And for whatever days I have left here, I will do that in Hayden's name, always inspired by his journey with grace and gratitude, despite his suffering. So thank you. Thank you, Jerry, for this privilege to be on your podcasts and to share a little bit about my book 19 yeah adam it was an honor and and a pleasure and um just what a way to start a saturday for me i mean a deep conversation to kick it all off um thank you thank you now be sure to check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash three two three. There you'll find links to Adam's website, how to buy the book nineteen, as well as other episodes that really talk about live like you're dying. Uh, and so I'll have some um, past guests linked to this episode as well. Uh, now, if you haven't yet just created your own vision and your set of goals of what you want to accomplish in life and given it a time frame and a deadline, then I also invite you to go to download my free book, uh, Measure It to Make It. It's a workbook that walks you through the process of identifying what are your values, what means most to you in life, what is your bucket list, and then what are the milestones and goals to get you there? So go check it out. It's at beyondtherut.com slash goals. I'll also have it linked in the uh, the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 323. So again, if you have not put your life vision and your purpose and your goals into writing and given it a deadline, then it's just a dream. And so that is the conversion I'm challenging you to make. Live with a sense of urgency, guys. Live like you're dying uh, and go download that workbook and get cracking on it. Um, so there you have it. Uh, I'm glad you joined me this week. I hope to join you again next week. But until next time, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. 
Go to beyondtherut.com slash cap show, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.